We welcome you to the NACMA podcast. Join us by listening to each episode full of interesting topics from industry leaders in college athletics. There will be a wide range of topics, each one focusing on what we in college athletics deal with on a daily basis, revenue generation, brand management, and the fan experience. Welcome to another episode of the NACMA podcast. I'm Michael Thompson, Deputy Athletics Director at Texas A&M, and have the honor of serving on the NACMA board this year. On this episode, we'll talk about the future of college sports fans with Kaiser Thompson, the president of Now What? Now, what is Now What? You see what I did there? Uh, now What is a 40-person consultancy that works with some of the biggest brands on helping them understand their consumers and fans. And from there, they create strategies for them to position their brands, create products, drive awareness and usage, build brand love, and just about any other business objective that a client may have. Speaking of clients, I'm sure you've heard of several of theirs, uh, Nike, Facebook, uh, Meta, uh, Netflix, Disney and ESPN, uh, Beam Suntory, to name a few. Within the sports world, Kaiser and his team have partnered with the NFL on solving uh, for declines in fan avidity, with ESPN and the college football playoff on positioning the playoff when it began, the Southeastern Conference on fan experience in just about every sport with Nike. Kaiser is a former teacher and industry speaker at Miami Ad School and is an advisory board member of Many Hopes, a nonprofit that rescues children in Kenya from poverty and abuse and raises them with an imagination for justice and the tools to act on it. And best of all, Kaiser is my brother. Welcome to the podcast, Kaiser. Thanks for having me, brother. I appreciate it. I am the younger brother. Let's make that clear. You are the older. The middle. The middle. You're, That's exactly right. Yeah, I'm the middle. You are the wiser one. If he yeah. sounds wiser, it's because he's older. Yep. All right. Well, let's start things off kind of broad. Um, you, uh, you, and your your team are, are really experts in um, understanding consumers and and fans and and just their affinity for brands and products. And there is just so much talk about the next generations of fans. And there's, I feel like it's almost weekly that there's a new article or study coming out about millennials or Gen Z. Um, but like, what can you kind of tell us about these that would almost summarize or recap some of these findings as we head into the new year about those two, uh, about those two audiences and any other audiences that you think would be relevant? Sure. I, I think, I think first of all, there's, um, and, and this is going to, I'm going to contradict myself later with this statement, but I think a lot of times we, especially in our world, I mean, we are in research, we are in um, you know, we study culture. I think we do we bucket people very easily into generations. And we do that again, like I said, we do it. Um, so I, I think it's important for, and I tell our clients this, to just remember that you're, you're talking about people here. And when it comes to your brand or university or whatever it is, you're talking about specific people. So I always you know, kind of start with that with our clients, like we got to get as specific as possible. So I think starting from a place of like, who's your actual audience or who is your fan is incredibly important. And, you know, however you do that, even if it's on a small scale, I think that's first and foremost, but, you know, like you said, starting broad though, if you're looking at a, a generation and you're looking at like a, a larger, um, uh, you know, cohort, we're seeing, I mean, the, I mean, if you want me to summarize it, I mean, there are a couple of things that are really big that are happening within Gen Z. We do a lot of Gen Z work. We do a lot of millennial work. 
most of it's Gen Z these days because that's what every client wants to know about. Millennials is overdone, I feel like. But the, one of the big things is um, this insight that it's not a, it's 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 about what's in it for us, not what's in it for me. And I think that us mentality versus the me mentality, it's it, there's even a difference in millennials and Gen Z. You, you look at a data, you know, I've, we've got a bunch of data over half of you know, um, Gen Z make a purchase because they feel the brand reflects their values, something like that. And that's compared to like a way lower set of millennials. I think it's like less than a third of millennials. So a pretty big difference. So they're, they're choosing things and watching things and becoming fans of things because they reflect their values as a group. And I think that's important. Um, I think that, you know, there's an expectation that brands and you know in this case universities or athletics department like stand up and do something right now you hear that a lot i know i know it's a big thing but just kind of step back from it all you just got to remember what the generation has been through and the time that they're living in on all that stuff which sounds kind of cliche but it's actually it's actually true um and i think i think some people would say that um it may not necessarily relate to college sports, but I believe it does. I think over the next five years, you're going to see this generation expect y'all to, or university athletic department, whatever, um, to stand up for student athletes more and more. Like, I, I think it, it's not enough for a coach to stand with the players or do a march or whatever, you know, the things that they're doing these days, which are great. But I think that it will end up, you know, laddering up to like, okay, this is, this is a bigger deal. What, what's the NCAA or what, what's the university doing? Um, and I think that's a big one. It's about what's in it for us, not what's in it for me. Um, and yeah, I mean, the big question is like, what, you know, thinking about Gen Z values and how do they match up with this generation? Like, what are your values? Like you as like Texas A&M or any of your members, like what are your values and how do they match up with the generation? I think it's important. And this particular value being one of community. That's one big thing. Um, you want me to keep going? I got to. I mean, well, I mean, like, like it's interesting um, as you sit there talking, it made me think that sometimes um, uh, us marketers, um, we almost see like the generations, like if you were, if you do look at these big cohorts, you, uh, you can, you can, um, I think incorrectly sometimes assume that, uh, they don't change much. In other words, like millennials aren't that different from Gen Z because they're so close in terms of age. But, but what I think I'm hearing you say is that that's not true at all. Like th there are, are pretty big markers that would separate, um, each of these two generations. And of course there are exceptions all the way around, but, but do, do you see these two as very different? I mean, can you market the same way to millennials that you market to Gen Z? Doesn't sound like it. Yeah. Yeah. You mean in terms of the difference in the two, is that what you mean? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean okay. Just because they're yeah. right next to each other in time. Yeah, good good question. They're that similar. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So in, in everything we've done and seen, Gen Z blends into millennials in a, in a slightly more fluid way than millennials do to Gen X. And that probably, maybe when you hear me say that, at least when I've said that before, it's like, it kind of makes sense. And, and just to explain a little bit more, you have someone who sits in between the two generations, like a 25 year old, and 
they're going to have both sets of values to a degree and, and, and to a larger degree than let's say someone who sits in between Gen X and millennial. That, that's me. I mean, I'm 40. I'm, I'm literally in the middle of the generations that there's like names for me, like Exennial and stuff. I carry both values, but not in a way that a 25 year old does in, in the sense of like fluidity. And what I mean by that is like millennials are extremely adaptable and Gen Z is adaptable as well. And so that's not going to change. And that adaptation and that chameleon sort of aspect of those two generations is pretty strong. So more than other generations, we see more fluidity between between the two. Yeah. I mean, like, how does this, how does that manifest itself in sports? I mean, sports in general. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, you mean in terms of the fluidity in terms of the inside about community and. No, I think, I think just the generational, like the more broad topic of, of, of how the different generations um consume sports and are there some are there some flags or indicators oh sure of, of, yeah of what yeah, yeah. Well, well i think yeah i i think one interesting insight that i've been thinking about before you know hopping on and, and having this conversation is just the insight around gen z which sort of relates to millennial actually it's it, gen z and you probably heard this before like the most inclusive generation that that has existed they're they're so exclusive but it's a total contradiction because the most inclusive generation is also the loneliest. And, and mm. that, that definitely has bled into millennials because millennials, I mean, everyone talks about how Gen Z, they've grown up with it. But millennials really have two, within like social media and technology, millennials did too and have too. Um, and just because you get into it when you're 10 years old versus 20 years old doesn't mean it's still not, you know, a powerful thing. And so I just... You know, one of the things that within both generations, generations, excuse me, um, they are considered, you know, inclusive, but also lonely. And, and I think that when you talk about sports, sports in general, every sport, I mean, you, you could narrow it down to college athletics as well. It's such a powerful community, like athletics, period, like even 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 sport playing any kind of sports. So, I have so many parents, I mean, we're, we're similar. That's why we want you know, our kids to play in team sports. Like you, you want it, you want, oh, oh I, I, you know, I definitely want them on a team, team, you know. And, and I think that that's something that is um, forgot. I mean, maybe that's an egregious statement, forgotten. But I, I just think it's something that should be really focused on when it comes to sports and college athletics. And, and, and it's just like the, the, the fans, fans see themselves as an extension of the team. You know, and, and these yeah. generations are the same. They're looking for the community. Like there's a literally craving community and sports. Yeah. In my opinion, I've thought about this and talked about it. And I feel like I'm getting on a soapbox, but there's, there's so much opportunity for sports to step in and fill that, that need. Um, how do you make them more an extension? How do you make them more of an extension of your team? How do you fuel their, that sense of camaraderie, camaraderie and pride and loyalty when it comes to college sports and sports in general. I think that that's, that's a big deal. And that's one of the things that I, I think is sports can do, a, 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 you know, I don't know, a very powerful thing with. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, because you do hear uh, people talk about just their fears of, Hey, you know, when our season ticket holders, uh, as they age, 
um, it's it's been harder to to um, let's call, let's just say backfill. It's a bit harder to bring on the next um, generation of, of of just season ticket holders in this example. Um, and there's just this trepidation about it, but it's interesting because it seems like it's balanced based on what you're saying. It's balanced with there is a really strong desire for that community and sports does offer a, a lot of different ways for that, whether it's, whether it's spectator sports and, and fandom, or it's like what you were talking about with participatory type activities. And it's like, you know, I think when, uh, when our parents, uh, when we were younger, I don't, I don't, I don't think that, that they would have ever thought like, Hey, we, we need to get Michael Kaiser into, into team sports because, because, of this kind of generational loneliness or anything like that, because it just didn't exist with, with us. I mean, team yeah. sports was more about just, Hey, you know, exercise and just kind of, you know, having fun. I mean, more than anything else. Right. Yeah, exactly. We actually did a project recently for Nike on kids in play and the, the def, you know, parents and kids definitions of play. And it was, uh, let's see, the, I think it was th- three to 12 year olds, I believe. Don't ask how we do research with three-year-olds. It's very difficult. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's, 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 it's all driven. How many waivers just, you have to sign for that? Yeah, yeah. Just, just to be clear, I don't want anyone yeah. coming after us. Yeah. It's all through the parents. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very much about how do I get my child into a community? Now, they wouldn't call because they're talking about the word community. They don't call it community. They call it how do I get them, uh, how do I socialize them? That's what that's that's the word that's used. Like how how can how can my children um, socialize and what what kind of environment can I put them in that will help them socialize? Sports. I mean, sports is a big one. Play, you know, and and I think that th- th- those other aspects are still there. Like I want them to be active. I want them to you know. There's the science behind it and biology behind it. The more active you are, the more your brain is working and all that kind of stuff. But I think the socialization is a is a big deal. Plus, last you know, two year or God, I feel like this, this pandemic has been going on for years, but definitely in the last two years, that's become more and more important because of, you know, which has been anti-social um, just because we've been forced upon it. But so I think that's going to become more and more important because think about it. We're, we're going to eventually hopefully get out of this whole thing. And, and we're going to have had you know, two years, parents are at least going to feel it like this, like two years of, of not having it normal. And so there's going to be an exponential need, my, our opinion, my, our opinion on trend, exponential need for, for children to be out there playing, but playing within a team culture and part of something bigger than themselves, because it's just, I don't know, it's been so important. Yeah, no, no, no question about that. I mean, what are, you know, you've got, you mentioned Nike and some of the projects you're doing there, but like, what are, what are some of your clients asking you about right now as we head into 22? Like, what are some of the, 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 the unknowns that they're trying to become, make known and, and really kind of uncover? Sure. Well, I mean, the first one that, that is pretty obvious comes to mind is how is COVID going to affect everything moving forward or how has it affected everything moving forward? Um, that's one thing. Um, another thing is, the, the, what I mentioned about Nike and, and play and how do you, you know, what, what is the state of play? That was the big question, actually. What's the state of play for kids three to 12 years old? Um, and what's the future look like? I mean, that's a big one. Um, and, and that's partly driven by 
COVID and kind of coming out of COVID. And I think honestly, a lot of these questions are driven by, you know, what's this, you know, post-apocalyptic world going to look like? Um, I think another one that that relates to y'all, I, I thought about this before, is um, the work we're doing for ESPN. And in particular, we're doing work on Monday Night Football and the Manning broadcast. And I won't get into the details of that. I'm, I'm, I'm not allowed to share like the specifics, but on the surface, just the fact that they're asking this question, the, the fact that they're doing that broadcast and asking questions around it and we're doing research around it is important because what you're seeing is you're seeing some innovation within the at-home viewing experience. You're seeing some innovation within broadcast. Now, sure, this is not new that, you know, they've had the uh, mega cast they've had this has happened before but what's new about the Manning broadcast is that they're putting big names up there and they're making it a whole thing they're branding it and everything like that and in a lot of ways it's it's been an experience it's been actually in every way it's been an experiment to try to learn and I think that's one thing that's happening in the sports world I mean as we work with you know these we work with other media companies as well related to sports and even non-sports it's you know how do you improve and how do you um you know, innovate within the world of at-home viewing, which, which you know, it, it counter against ticket sales. I know that you guys are very, very uh, much focused on ticket sales, but in terms of creating fans from an at-home experience, I think it's really important. And I think it's, I think it's a really big deal. And I think you'll see more and more of that, certainly within ESPN, um, which is probably pretty obvious because they're experimenting with this, but I think you'll start to see it um, with streaming services, with what, you know, Peacock is doing with NBC and Sunday Night Football. Um, you've obviously seen it with um, uh, Twitch. I know they don't do it anymore, but like Twitch having rights to Thursday Night Football, it's, it's crazy. And it's just experimenting. And I think you're going to see the experimentation for the next couple of years, too. And we'll see how it plays out. I think this this what, what we call an experiential broadcast, this Manning type broadcast, Twitch is kind of one of them, and even um when Twitter did and Facebook, it's all experiential. It's immersive. Um, I think you'll see more and more of that coming in the next three to five years, um, yeah, which, which I think like, is cool. Oh, you no. Know, I mean, like as a consumer, as a sports fan, it's, I mean, it's variety, it's choice. It's um, it's uh, there's novelty to a lot of it. Um, I, I, I will say that, uh, you know, on the, on the uh, Manning cast, I mean, they've done a really amazing job of, of uh, really just kind of drawing on pop culture and celebrity and, and especially with their guests, not as much with the, I mean, the Mannings, of course, are, are the Mannings, um, but, but have, um, uh, I mean, they're, they're born in sports. A lot of the guests they have are, are not, and they're, they're more pop culture icons that, that really, um, I mean, I, I, I'm just guessing, but I, I would be, I'm thinking that ESPN is, is just trying to bring new audiences to yeah. um, a program that, uh, that they have multiple ways of broadcasting because of all the channels that, that they have and distribution methods. And it just seems like, okay, if we're not going to get them to watch the, the regular uh, broadcast, then what are some ways that we can get creative about bringing these fans back into the fold with a slightly uh, uh, um, uh, just a, a slightly different way of showing the same game because what's funny is it's like it's the exact same game happening on the field but the but you the programs couldn't be any more different you know what i mean yeah yeah absolutely and, and you see and, it and, like 
Yeah, and I'll say too, like as a as a as a viewer of the the Manning cast myself, I I love it. Um, But what I what I love about it is is that it's kind of like the inside baseball. I mean, it's not baseball, obviously, but it's like that inside look of you know almost almost a super fan stuff. I mean, when when Peyton starts Mm -hmm. talking about you know the reads and the and um, uh, just the rationale behind some things. Um, it's it's really well sprinkled in with David Letterman coming on and and being hilarious. And it's like this really interesting mashup that I don't know that if you put it on paper that and you were in a boardroom, I don't know that it would necessarily fly. I, I mean, it obviously did, but it's fascinating how they've been able to blend um, even some some hardcore fan type stuff like deep in the in the trenches and in, in the playbook in the exact same program as something that more of a casual fan is going to just enjoy listening to and be entertained by. Yeah, absolutely. I think they touch on, um, or they really speak to two big things that involve Gen Z millennials. One, we've already talked about the communal aspect of it, like them sitting on couches. Now we wish, and we may have recommended them to be on the same couch. It is kind of, some people find it kind of odd that they're in two different places, but that aside, there is a communal aspect of it because they're talking to each other. They're not announcing a game or brought, you know, they're not the color commentator and the um, play-by-play, right? It's very different. Um, there's communal, there's community built into the fact that they're brothers, their brothers bantering and you get brought up and then they bring in the guests and it's like this communal aspect. So that's one. Second thing is, and this word is thrown around all the time, and I hate even saying, I wish there were another word for it, but authenticity. Authenticity is a big deal. Um, and you put two people like that on a broadcast and you're, you're, you know, you're getting the middle finger, you're getting the cuss words, you're, you're having uh, Peyton eat, you know, like scarf down a sandwich. And, and yeah. that... It's raw, but it's yeah, real. yeah, yeah, literally, yeah, and 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 that like blew up on Twitter and blew up in our research that sandwich thing. People were like, "It's gross!" Like it was so funny that <laughs> made fun of them because it's just a real moment, and people were drawn into that and very interested in it. And I, that that is that is a big thing that's happening right now, especially in sports, the authenticity thing. Like I talked about, you know, fans, they, they want to root for their team and, you know, they want that camaraderie, like bring them in, like, you know, bring them into the community. Um, they're rooting for their team. Yeah. And they want all that, but you see this play on so many different ways. They admire these players who play for, you know, the, the love of the sport or who, who play for, um, you know, whatever they play for, you know, honestly, that doesn't matter. They just, they really admire the players and I, and they root for the individuals as, you know, as much as the team sometimes. And we all know that you see it in various things like fantasy football, but also in social media, you're able to follow a player. Um, and, and I think it's a big deal. So the authenticity piece, like they really, really want to see that. And, and I, I think, that college sports in particular, it's, it's, it's you're in a or it, it we are in a unique you know situation here with everything that's going on in college sports and and nil and all that kind of stuff and just the power of social media and how it's individualized a lot of things. But you can leverage that. You know, I, I don't mean to sound crass about it, but you can leverage that to your advantage. Um, you know, they have a 
players have a serious um, effect on people and the authenticity that players um, really, I guess, give uh, fans is like really, really powerful. And I think those are, those are two, like authenticity is like a big thing thing. And yeah, going back to the Manning broadcast, it makes sense. But I, again, tying it to college sports, the more you can be authentic, the more you can show even the teams and behind, you know, like how a team actually operates and things like that. And coaches, I think, I think the more powerful you become as an entity um, pulling fans. in. Yeah. I mean, but like, and this is uh, behind the scenes stuff is people love that. And, and because it's like not the standard stuff. And, uh, but I also think to your point, I think people really end up loving that type of content because they, they see mistakes, they see, um, uh, you know, food on somebody's mouth. They see that, I mean, it's not, it's not perfect and polished and perfect and polished content almost can appear uh, fake. I mean, it can just appear, it can appear like it's been overproduced um, and it loses some of its ability to personalize and, and connect with other human beings because, because our brains, whether we will consciously talk about it, I mean, we just kind of know that this has subconsciously been vetted out by, you know, 15 people and has made, you know, there's been hours that have left left on the cutting room floor. Um, and it's now this kind of perfectly polished, like little gem, um, mm-hmm. but which is, has plenty of value in lots of ways. But for the personalization and for that connection, that human connection, we it seems like we want to see content that that we can almost like feel a part of and feel like, Oh gosh, yeah, I've done that before. You know, it, like you, I've, I've eaten a sandwich like that before or, I, or I've, you know, I do that every day, whatever it is. And, and it, it makes us feel like we know them, like that they're actual human beings and not on a pedestal of this, this kind of can do no wrong, um, almost like idol, uh, which mm-hmm. in a lot of sports, uh, there's sports idols out there everywhere, but mm-hmm. it's, it's all kind of localized, even at the, you know, at, in College Station, I mean, when, um, you know, several of our football players, they're walking around by themselves. I mean, they're getting noticed. I mean, they're, they're people are, are really um, almost like uh, clam up around them because they're just, they're just such big fans. But that's what it's about. It's about that human connection um, in so many ways. And those other broadcasts are like that. I think for, it seems like listening to what you're talking about, uh, one possible takeaway from this discussion is like, Hey, not all of our content has to be um, just perfectly polished. I mean, there's a lot of value in, in having a little bit more raw content that um, that shows just kind of the, the truth of what this of what college sports is and sports is in general. Um, and there could just be some value in that, just showing people um, in those scenarios and in that uh, content and being able to connect with it. Yeah. Absolutely. I like to say that they, they complement each other, like the, the slick footage, the broad, even the broadcast, the documentary films, all that stuff complements the behind the scenes raw stuff. I, I honestly don't think you can have one without the other. I think if true, you, true. you know, if you stop doing all that stuff and you stop the great production and just switch to the side, and I, I don't think it works. Um, I think you still have to have that, cachet that sort of aura of sometimes invincibility and 
Um, look, look, here, this reminds me actually of something like the power of social media. This kind of this kind of relates or ladders up to that as as a big, very obvious trend. Like social media is powerful. Um, so, so I, I know, you know, and everyone knows athletes are on TikTok, you know, professional athletes, college athletes, high school, you know, kids, they're on TikTok doing, you know, their athletes. Thing. So it's, it's this whole phenomenon where, where they are connecting in a world of, of social media, TikTok, whatever the, whatever the format is, that feels very one-on-one. Like you're, you feel like, you know, the person. Like you're, you're in their world, right? Like it's like, it's a one-on-one thing, even though it's weirdly not because it's social. Okay. And the Olympics, I don't know if you saw this, but TikTok was the media, was the medium, medium for this whole behind the scenes raw look at the Olympics. It was, I think, where the conversation actually happened in the Olympics. So like Adam Peaty, I don't know if you saw this, he, he flashed, his, he was on TikTok and he was just doing a regular TikTok. Then all of a sudden he pulled out his gold medal and flashed it on, on TikTok. And it's like, people went crazy over that. They just thought it was so cool because I think it relates to that compliment thing. You have that like authenticity, rare, but then you have this Olympic medal. It's like, oh, there is some something like, like really powerful and cool around that. Like that's pretty cool. So what, what's happening there, and, and again, it's not about TikTok. You can insert whatever name you want in there, whatever new thing in three years. What this does is social media like lets you into their world and it complements that sort of aspirational, unattain- kind of unattainable thing. And it shows their real side. And I think that, I think this is supremely under leveraged. I mean, I'm not suggesting like you go out on TikTok or Ross or anybody and like do that. I don't think it's about that. I think it's just about like, how do you tell that behind the scenes story? And how do you tell that raw, authentic story using a medium like a TikTok or whatever and do it in the right way to complement that other stuff? I think that there's a huge opportunity there too as, as a takeaway. Yeah, no, there's no doubt, no doubt. Uh, well, we'll try to wrap up here. Um, any any closing thoughts that you have about maybe how some uh, college athletics marketers, I mean, maybe one or two things that, that we should be thinking about in 2022 uh, that you would that you would say, hey, um, look into this or, or or really you know put a focus on this for 2022 and just in terms of just uh, building your fan base and and growing a brand. Yeah, of course, I've got a lot of things I want to say. Um, I want to talk about the metaverse. I want to talk about NIL. <laughs> like, I, I think... <laughs> talk about the metaverse, because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that. I mean, I've, I've been talking NIL for a lot lately, so let's switch it up. Talk about the metaverse. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, you just got to look at what's happening. Like, first of all, just, you know, if, if you don't know about it, forget even what the metaverse is. Just look, look at what's going on. Nike, look what Nike's doing. Um, Nike just acquired this big production company called RTF uh, KT. They make NFTs for the metaverse. And maybe that's foreign to a lot of you. But basically what that means is they're selling digital computer generated Nikes to people like literally they're selling like NF like just not, and, and it's going to become a marketplace and this this company they bought like does that that's what they do so they're getting into this whole world and, and all these brands are getting into this whole world where people are 
are living and playing and talking to other people. I mean, I, the, the best way to me to think about it, and I'm, I'm aging myself, even though I already told you my age, of like Sims. It's like real life Sims. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, it's, yeah. that's the yeah. best way I think to explain it. I heard that from someone else, and it kind of. But for money and for like real, you're 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 seeking real um, affirmation or uh, adulation from other human beings, but in a virtual world. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so Roblox, some, some of you are parents, you know, your kids. Yes, play Roblox. I'm very, I'm all yeah. too familiar with Roblox. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a whole thing like Nike also, and sorry, I keep talking about Nike. They just, they're a client and worked on a lot of stuff, but they, they cr- created a virtual world called Nike land within there. And, and you can go and like, you know, you're, your son can go, my nephew can go in there and, and go into Nike land and he can dress up his avatar in Nike, you know, fleece and sneakers and walk out and you can buy that stuff. I mean, I, it's, With real money. it's free. It's money. free for now. Like okay. it should be fair. So don't, you know, you don't need to go checking his bank account but, or yours, but he like, th- this is happening and it's really happening. I, I could talk for hours about the metaverse, but basically just know that it's a thing. And when you start seeing big brands playing it and actually generate revenue, it it's a thing. Um, and there's a whole lot to say about it, but I, I would, I would pay attention to it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like go invest money in it next year. It's just pay attention to it and see what happens over the next few years. It's coming. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I do. I mean, okay. The other thing is that going back to what I said, one, one final thought, and this kind of relates to the NIL, but it more relates to like public persona and social media. Like it all, it's all under this one um, umbrella of, it's it's generating a lot of fear generating a lot of like from probably athletics and i know from brands like oh my gosh what do we what do we do with all this what's happening is and what's going to continue to happen is um it this whole individual um culture is kind of playing out like this whole like these athletes are gen z and are millennials and you're starting to see them express themselves in ways that we've never seen before. Now it's chicken or the egg. Like what is it because money's involved or is it because literally just this generation is like this? I think we're forgetting about that latter point. The generations like this. I think we're, you know, we're going to see more and more athletes becoming bigger stars again, whether money's involved or not, it's just social media. It's just their, the reach. They have incredible global reach now. And I think it's something to be, pay very, very close attention to next year and, you know, how to leverage it, but also how to protect it, how to protect the university, things like that. Um, and I think it's important for uh, brands and, I, and I, I would include, you know, universities in that to um, have this balance. This is my opinion. And maybe this is controversial to have this balance of like letting it happen because you can't really control it but staying true to your values and having your student athletes or having your consumers or whatever, understand your values as an organization. And hopefully those values are projected and hopefully those values are what's like coming out of the person. I'm, I'm getting kind of like meta about it, but I think that that is um, going to be something that this whole like individual, you know, thing, I think it's something that's going to become a, a thing. And I would say, like leverage it, like leverage the thing. Nike just signed a deal. I don't know if you saw this yesterday with, or a couple of days ago with a 
women's soccer player. I think it's their first NIL deal. I think that's what it was. Like a women's soccer player. Do you do you do you not think that thousands more young girls will know her name in six months because of that deal? Yeah, I think so. Like I would I would think so. Yeah, that's I would think so. That's yeah. increasing visibility into a sport. Like this is the positive of all that stuff. I think this is in addition to Mikey sponsorships, leagues and, and jerseys and all that kind of media buying ESPN. Like that's a big deal. I think for women's soccer, that's incredible. And I even think like the, you know, because we're on the topic, like the stuff that's happened with early signing day and all that. I mean, that's, it's crazy, but it's, it's kind of cool. I mean, it's, I think it's personally kind of cool for eight, HBCUs, whatever you think about that. It's like, whether it's good or bad and too much money and all that, like that, that's like, there's a huge opportunity, whether you're the number one team in the country, Alabama doing it or Jackson state or, or whatever small college. I think that there is a way that you leverage that and you make it part of like your university and make it part of your athletic department and make it part of the student athletes and the experience. And I think that that's one thing that's just, I think it's not being talked about. Maybe it is in y'all circles, but I think from a brand, I'm a, I'm a brand person. I just think about how do you leverage that for your brand? And I think there's a way to do that. There is no, and, and, and you'll, you're seeing the NCAA legislation um, evolve to um, kind of allow schools um, to, to do that. I mean, cause like where before there was a lot of um, there was just a lot of, uh, uh, regulations on on what we could do on social especially with regard to recruiting um and so you're seeing some of you're seeing that evolve too just with with the changing landscape of nil there's no no question about it yeah i mean i think the the point of what you're saying is that you um you you can't the 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 brands and organizations that kind of put their head in the sand and say uh this is all going to be a passing fad and um and i'm just going to kind of you know batting down the hatches and, and, and just kind of wait it out. That that's just not, that's not a viable strategy. I mean, you, you, but you don't also, you don't have to just like dive in and create a, you know, a store in the metaverse and, and sell, you know, officially licensed, you know, gear that's, that's uh, virtual in nature. Like you're not talking about that either, but it's, it's, it's understanding what the marketplace looks like, understanding where your particular brand fits in it. And then just like what you said, I think is the most important thing you said is like staying true to the values that, that you have as a university and you have as a, as a, as an athletics brand or whatever, insert whatever um, industry uh, brand you have there, but you have to stay true because it does seem like fans and customers can sniff out almost instantaneously when you've strayed from, from what your kind of brand promise has been, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great summary of my rambling. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. And we're going to end the podcast right there. Like that's, yeah, I win. I, you know, I get it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, look, I, I really appreciate the time um, this afternoon and um, I uh, look forward to seeing you um, um, in, in Memphis in a, in a few days. So um, we'll, um, we'll, I'll get to see you in what next week, right? Yeah. Yeah, next good next week in next week in Memphis. Um, awesome. Well, thank you everybody uh, for listening, and um, uh, if you have questions, uh, just feel free to reach out. Thank you for listening to the NACMA podcast. Be sure to visit the online community and join NACMA in continuing the conversation.